I, I can't listen to a running podcast. I can barely get myself up to run. I don't know if I can listen to somebody else talk about running. Yeah, you're by far a better man than me. I'm I'm not running if at all possible unless someone's chasing. Yeah, see, I'm happy to swim, bike, play basketball, but for some reason it's just running is not my thing. Or lifting. As some people, you know, they play football and you lift for four years or eight years if you count high school, and then you just become the kind of guy who goes to the gym. Uh, I never, I don't think I've been since the week of the Hampton Sydney game, nineteen ninety seven. <laughs> I um I was reminded just recently that. Uh essentially my athletic career ended exactly 10 years ago this past week um my last softball game for the usa today softball team was uh june something of 2008 you know the glove has the gloves in a bag and the spikes are in a bag and and they haven't been open since uh we uh moved to minnesota you want so try- football yeah, the you- division three variety <laughs> you want to try to do a podcast no, i think we should let's do it Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division Three football. We're the largest division. Hey, there are 778 schools playing college football this year in uh, 2018. We've got 250 of them right here in NCAA Division Three. I'm Pat Coleman. I'm in charge of D3Football.com. Keith McMillan has been with us since 1999, and this is where Keith tells us about what he does instead of lifting weights. I feel like we may have already covered this. Yeah, it depends how much of the uh, cold open you keep. Um, yeah, biking, swimming. Uh, I'd rather shoot baskets. Uh, coach, coach youth softball, youth sports, do anything with the kids, go for a walk. Not a runner, not a lifter. Uh, we're all different. It is, uh, but it is time where we have to get back into talking about everybody else's physical activity. We've been in the dog days here for most of June, that kind of in-between period where yeah, most of the coaches have been hired and the uh, NFL stuff has been taken care of. And, you know, Keith and I and the rest of the team have been t- talking about what we might want to do with kickoff 2018. So some of that stuff is out there. Kickoff 2018 will come out on August 9th. So we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up in a few minutes. Um, And Keith, uh, why don't we give people the thumbnail sketch of what kickoff is for those who don't know? Sure. It's um, our preseason preview edition. We've uh, done it online for 12 or so years now. Maybe this is 13. Um, And so we've refined it over the years. But basically the the idea was to give you that um, Athlon, Lindy, Street and Smith type magazine but by, by D3, for D3, with a focus on our teams, with information that was not cobbled together uh, in May or, or April, but uh, as close to the season as possible. This year is the first year we'll be doing, we'll be uh, releasing it more than 10 days before the season starts. Try to give you a little bit more time to, um, to read and digest it because we've packed it with so many, uh, not just team previews, but uh, in the past couple of years, it's been upwards of two dozen, sometimes about 30 feature elements. So that's player Q&As. You get to know you know, some of these names that you hear, you may hear during the playoff process or team of the week or, or something like that, All-Americans. But you have no idea the, the, the player's backstory because they're not from a conference you follow or a team you follow. You get to know some of those guys a little bit. Uh, certainly, there'll be feature stories on all the major teams you know, your Mount Union, your Mary Harden Baylors, and then and then uh, each conference will will sort of dig into 
to that a little bit and have uh, each team previewed. And the big focus really is just looking forward at the next season and not just rehashing what we know from last year. So we put all that together in, in a package where you can um, open it up on your computer, uh, go back to it multiple times. You don't have to read it all in one sitting. Um, there'll, it'll be some graphic elements that will uh, make it come to life for you. And I won't, won't feel like a magazine that you read in your hands, but it'll, it'll give you the same experience. And that's basically how Keith uh, describes it to the writers, too, where uh, we have to hire a, a good number of writers, some people who write for us every year, but only on this one project. And uh, we are glad to have them because it takes a good number of people to talk to all 250 coaches. That's the goal. I've already talked to, I think I've talked to four. I have ostensibly one following right after uh, yours of my conversation here, Keith. I have a couple scheduled for next Monday. And, uh, of the uh, 30 or so that I'm going to talk to, we're kind of working through the list. That's one of the things I love about this time of season is I have a group of coaches who now I've talked to uh, probably 10 years in a row or so. I've done the UMAC and then I would kind of dabble around. I, I talked to ASC coaches for a year. I talked to Northwest Conference coaches. Um, you know, I, I've talked to Midwest Conference now. Um, you know, and I just like getting the uh, opportunity to just talk with coaches it, it sometimes it's a pretty quick and fast-paced conversation but it's just nice to hear all these voices and have kind of one-on-one conversations rather than the occasional emails or a dm on twitter or something like that well pat when, when you and i started one of our big features in kickoff uh was ranking each team one to 228 yeah. which was you know we wanted to go beyond the top 25 and um a lot of times the top 25 is sort of a rehash of how the playoffs um, finished out last season anyway. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to, to, first of all, take the new season into account, but then just rank it so you could find your team no matter where your team is and all the teams on your favorite team schedule, uh, all the teams that you're familiar with. you know. Um, but it went to 228, Pat, and we're up to 250 now. Yeah. And there's just no way you can cover a division of that size without actually talking to the coaches. You know, they're on any given weekend, 100, 120 games. If, if all the teams were to match up against each other, um, there will always be a few that are off or playing a non-division opponent. And, you know, just the staff would have to be enormous to to, watch, to, to go to every game. Um, and they're, you know, going, going on simultaneously. So, yeah, I mean, talking to the coaches this time of season is really the way we get our, our insight. And it's also how we plug into the people who know those conferences much better than we do. So, for example, like we'll have uh, James Baker preview the the Liberty League for us and kick off this year. And as as much as you and I follow the Liberty League, we will never know it as well as someone who does a weekly show sure. um, fo- focused around it. Yeah. That's the type of thing that we're getting into in kickoff here. So, if you really care about Division Three, uh, if you have unfamiliar opponents on your favorite team schedule, if um, one of the coaches from your school now coaches at a different school somewhere else in the country, and there's, you know, you, you have an interest in them, but you don't have a way to follow them regularly. This is a great time to check in. Uh, and, and the good thing about kickoff coming out a little earlier this year is, is you'll have time to, to obviously you go right to your your team's preview and you read that first, um, but you'll have time to work through all the other stuff and all the feature elements that will be in there. So you can find uh, the link to purchase that, to subscribe on the front page of d3football.com from now through 
you know, the probably the second week of September or so. Uh, that is the only thing that we charge for on any of the D3sports.com sites, and it really does help us do the things that we need to do to make D3football.com happen. And <clears throat> don't tell the other people, it, it also helps D3hoops.com happen a little bit as well. But it is because you guys, as coaches, as fans, spectators, former student-athletes, etc., support the website in this way once a year, we are able to then you know, get people to the Stag Bowl. Now we have to get, you know, probably four or five people to Texas rather than uh, a couple of people driving down from D.C. to uh, to Southwest Virginia and like one person flying. It's going to be a whole crazy thing. This is how we afford to cover the playoffs, to bring you great columns on a weekly basis during the regular season as well, and do all of the things that we do. And now I feel like I'm doing a pledge break for public radio or something like that. But that's basically what this is. Wait. Just because this is a pledge break, don't fast forward that DVR. Yeah, it does kind of sound like it, but but uh, you get something for your money, not just a tote bag. Right. And um, although you know you might prefer the tote bag, who knows? And then it, it is it, do, it does kind of feel like a little bit of a um, a, a way to help us out and, and do what we do. So you know we, whether it's helping us travel, um, staff you know staff pay paying for people who know what they're talking about. So you're just getting more. Than, uh, than the scores every week. So the other big thing that's going on right now is we are in the midst of, well, we've pretty much wrapped up collecting the information from schools for the preseason top 25, and I will be spitting that out to the voters next week. Because of the holiday, I suspect it'll take a little while for us to turn the poll around and get it out to you. Don't expect to see it until uh, that weekend after the 4th of July, but we sent requests out to 51 schools. We got 47 of them back. And, you know, that generates a spreadsheet that we have to uh, go through and uh, try to figure out. This is always the most interesting part, Keith, and I think Dave McHugh over at D3Hoops.com talks about this as well, is it's, sometimes it's pretty easy to figure out who the top, you know, I don't know, maybe five or six teams is in any given poll. And then you have an idea of, you know, here's a bunch of teams I'd like to rank in the 12 to 25 range and then there's like nobody in the middle so somebody has to be number seven you can't have you know a big gap that's always the most difficult part of a preseason poll for me yeah and i'm a big um returning starters guy uh look for offensive lines that stay intact yeah. uh, defenses that return a, a lot of players uh, i just feel like especially for starters like your second year starting or your third year the, you know you're you're no longer learning the scheme but you're you're you know that you know it you know the intricacies of it and then you can sort of pass that knowledge on to whoever uh, you're playing with so you know defensive players see things that are that are happening and tell the linebacker hey watch for this play that that sort of thing I, so I'm big on returning starters uh, big on obviously star players quarterbacks and uh, and and I like offensive lines that are intact so as we comb through the spreadsheet you know those are the type of things. I look for, but also um, teams that did well last season and maybe they, they either exited early in the playoffs because they had a tough matchup early yeah. uh, or their, their record was a little deceptive because they lost a couple of close games. Mm -hmm. You're looking for teams like that who, who may um, per, you know, be able to make a jump this season. A lot of times the difference between a team that goes a um, couple, two, three rounds in the playoffs and a team that's seven and three is that one game that that tilted, or or two games that uh, that were close that they lost during the season? Got a crease! Oh no! Oh 
On the flip side, you know, you have like a Illinois Wesleyan who last season won two very close games against very good teams in Whitewater and Concordia Moorhead, if I remember correctly. So you take a closer look at a team like that. Uh, and if, if just as an example, if that team loses half its starters, you know, that's maybe a team you, you don't rank where they finished. So I look forward to this part every year. And I, th I think if you want to get specific, you know, pretty clearly – Mount Union, Mary Harden, Baylor, probably back on top. Uh, just looking at, at last season, there were really three teams. If you add uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh in there, that were cut above everyone else. Mary Harden, Baylor has potentially a great transfer quarterback. Mount Union has its starting quarterback. A lot of starters back um, over there. Oshkosh loses a lot, yeah. but I feel like maybe they're at the point where they uh, they reload rather than take a season, step back and rebuild. And then you start looking at teams that were on the cusp or precipice last season, Brockport, your Delaware Valleys, uh, and teams that had tough matchups early in the playoffs, whether it's like North Central, Linfield, St. John's, teams like that. You mentioned one of the things that is, I think, the most important for me. You first started talking about teams that uh, maybe deceptively lost close games. And I'm very big also on teams that deceptively won close games last year or won a lot of close games. It's as much important to me during the course of the regular season poll as it is uh, in the preseason. Um, I know that, you know, you don't, people don't really like to talk about style points, I guess, when it comes to wins, right? A win is a win is a win in a lot of people's minds, but um, there's a lot to be said for winning in a dominant fashion or winning regularly in a dominant fashion rather than winning a bunch of games by two or three points. I think just when it comes to maintaining that, it becoming a sense of, you, your team clearly having the dominant edge over somebody else. That's what I'm looking for. Sure. And you say this all the time when we're talking about uh, playoffs or All-Americans is we're dealing with such a small sample size here in football, and we draw very grand conclusions sometimes from things that are yeah. uh, could, could have gone either way. Yeah. The, um, we have on this preseason, it's not a preseason ballot per se, because someone could vote for ostensibly just about all of the 250 teams. But uh, we have four WIAC teams that we collected information from, uh, not just Oshkosh, but also Lacrosse, Platteville, and Whitewater. I suspect there will be some vote splitting there. I never really know what to do with the second teams in the OAC. Uh, we had... Uh, a fondness, I think, in the voting for Ohio Northern for a long time after they had had uh, after they had no longer had some of those big playoff runs, and then they come back and surprise us after we uh, after we finally stop paying attention. But I don't know what to make of the ONU John Carroll Heidelberg Baldwin Wallace uh, combination, and those are all teams that we have uh, collected info from as well. Oh, this is part of the reason why you have twenty five people voting. You know, we'll all take a look at the spreadsheet. We'll drill down on what we remember from last season, what we know about this season coming up as far as players changing. Um, sometimes they're, they're players changing positions and sometimes they're transfers. Sometimes they are players you thought were coming back that aren't coming back. Um, big losses on the coaching staff, all, all those things factor in. And uh, that's why we try to give you a, a preseason uh, poll. And it's actually a poll, not just a ranking. Um, that's more, more than how last year's playoffs shaked out, shaked, shook. Out. But done, done, shook. 
Yeah, we haven't made it. We haven't made up a word on a on a podcast in a while. That's it true. Be a tradition. That is true. Um, but both of these things that we just talked about kind of go back to one of the core reasons why we created Kickoff is because one page in a magazine that is devoted to Division One football. This is ninety nine percent invisible. Just is not an appropriate way to preview Division Three football. So that's why we give you a researched preseason top 25 with 25 voters, not just one magazine writer's uh, opinion. And similarly, we go and dive in deeply into all 250 teams. I'm, I'm looking forward once again to the 1 to 250 ranking, Keith. I, I, that used to be such a big slog, and it is still a slog, but I really enjoy kind of debating the merits of let's say uh, Hanover versus Grove City or something like that. Yeah, I feel like you look forward forward to it a little more than I do. But in this day and age, um, with Google Docs and spreadsheets and the ability to have our laptops with multiple things open at once, um, it, it does go a little more smoothly than it did in the early years. We also have a couple of uh, interviews, conversations to bring you in the course of this podcast. We'll get to those in just a moment. We'll talk with Chip Knapp. He's the new head coach at Wesley, but of course he's not new to Wesley. He's been there for 29 years, and we'll talk to him about, of course, uh, losing a great friend to Wesley into Division Three football in Mike Drass, but also the transition, taking over that program, and all the things that have to get done before that, that team kicks off in August. And we'll also talk with Jim Barnes. Jim is the former head coach at Worcester, former head coach at Augustana. He's been uh, out of uh, Division Three football coaching for a handful of years, but continues to stay active in football and has an organization that uh, helps organize some of these tours of Europe and other parts of the world where you know schools can bring their teams and uh, play a game and take a tour in the offseason. So we'll talk a little bit more about that as we kind of continue that theme that we talked about on last month's podcast. And I'd also like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could, yes, Nobody, you could be reaching an audience full of Division Three decision makers, coaches who need new equipment, coaches who can influence decisions to replace turf, all sorts of things by sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here before we went to break. Think about it. Drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. This is the time of year still where a good portion of our listenership, a very high portion of our listenership, are the people who are making these purchasing decisions. And how else are you going to get your message in front of them in a very efficient manner than by sponsoring this podcast? I'm just saying, I used to work in marketing. This is a thing that people say is a thing. So do it. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Chip Knapp, the new head coach at Wesley College. Uh, coach, first of all, um, thank you for joining us. I know you take over this job under uh, less than ideal circumstances. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out for us here on this podcast. Well, I uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been uh, difficult circumstances uh, with the passing of Coach Drass, who's a great friend and a great leader here. And we're just trying to, I know he'd want us to move on and get ready for the season. So, you know, that's what we're trying to do right now. And it's at a time of year then where you probably don't have as much contact with the student athletes. You're trying to, you know, 
I guess, pick up pieces and then do some of the things that you didn't have to do as a coordinator. You could uh, focus on, you know, coordinating the offense. And now you have all of the other things that coaches talk about in terms of uh, bringing responsibilities added on to that position. What's the transition been like for you so far? Well, it's been, uh, you know, it's very busy, very hectic. And, uh, you know, I try to, first thing is uh, just connect with the team, connect with the incoming uh, freshmen that, that uh, we have uh, and uh, you know, let them know everything's all right. Everything's going to be, you know, the same philosophy that Coach Dress uh, uh, left us with and, you know, did a great job leading the program for a long time. So that's going to stay the same. Um, also wanted to get out and meet all the local high school coaches in the state of Delaware, especially. And so doing that and just uh, – and then trying to handle all the administrative stuff that uh, that goes along with the job. Coach Dress was great at you know just letting me coach football and let me take care of the offense, and he did a lot of the dirty work. And now uh, now that's on me. And uh, so you know he he was a one man show in a lot of ways, and and you know now we're trying to uh, just take care of all the things that he did now. Well, yeah, you've been there for 29 years, so you've been able to observe obviously and learn up close how. Mike did stuff, but uh, now you, you know, if, if he kind of really uh, not walled you off necessarily, but gave you the, the freedom to not have to worry about the administrative stuff, I would imagine that some of that's going to be hard to pick up. Uh, yeah, well, we were together. I mean, we, we worked hand side by side for 20, we, 29 years, like you said, and we've, you know, I've been directly involved in almost everything we've done. And uh, so it's not, you know, that big of a transition in some ways. But uh, he did uh, allow me to, you know, concentrate on the offense. And so that was a, that was a nice thing, uh, you know, a nice luxury for me almost to have him do a lot of the things, the fundraising and, and some of the administrative stuff. So, but I am familiar with it, very familiar with all the stuff that we had to do in the past. And, uh, you know, so um, there is a couple of things that uh, he, that I'm, I'm finding out that he did, uh, behind the scenes that uh, were important to the program. And he just kind of did it and went about his business, you know, doing his head coaching and coaching the defense. When we talked with players, former players, alumni, uh, when uh, Coach Dress died, one of the things that uh, they talked about pretty much uh, universally was how, you know, the personal relationship was and then how Coach would go to bat for them if necessary or – I don't know, provide tough love when necessary as well. Do you feel like it's going to be a similar type style or do you kind of bring a different, uh, a, a different style to it? Uh, no, I mean, I think uh, one of the keys to our success has been, it, you know, it wasn't about winning football games. It was about uh, uh, building relationships with our players, helping them, moving them along the way, ma- helping them make good choices uh, and and kind of a byproduct of uh, that uh, philosophy has was the winning of football games and the, su- the success on the field. And Coach Dress and I, uh, when he became head coach way back in 1993, we sat down together and we we talked about what what's this program going to be about? Why, what are we actually trying to d- accomplish here? And so we were worked together you know, uh, pretty closely on, on our philosophy that we've used the whole way through. And that's been about, you know, building relationships and helping our, our guys, uh, graduate from college, make good choices off the field 
and, you know, helping them become better people uh, when they leave. And so the football kind of takes care of itself. They're already motivated in a lot of that aspect of it. So it's going to be the same. I'm I'm 100 uh, percent behind, you know, that philosophy. Um, you know, he did it. He'll do it in a little different way. He was, uh, you know, maybe sometimes a little louder, a little more, uh, you know, in, in his own personality. He added his his touch to it. I'll add mine as well. And but it's going to be basically the same the same things that have, uh, you know, led us to our success. So nothing, not, not much is going to change in that regard. At a lot of Division three schools, uh, football is a huge enrollment driver, and I would say that's uh, probably no more true anywhere than at Wesley. Was there some concern, and maybe still con- some concern, that, you know, with, the, with no longer having Mike Grass at the helm, that uh, there might be some issues keeping the program alive, and then by extension maybe even keeping the school open? Uh, no, not at all. Um, we are, you know, we have a great staff here that, uh, you know, that, that has, has done a lot of the work in recruiting and, uh, you know, the, the recruiting has not uh, tailed off. The, the guys that I've talked to are, are, uh, you know, ready to, uh, you know, continue on and, and just move forward, you know, just like coach dress would have wanted it. And, uh, I don't see any, any issue in that, in that world. How do you guys uh, intend to or expect to honor Mike Drass this season? Well, we're actually uh, um, this week we're having a meeting to go over all the details. You know, obviously we want to do some things in the first game. Um, Our team, we have some ideas right now. We're going to put the stamp of approval on them uh, pretty soon about how we want to go about, you know, honoring him within our team. And within our uh, alumni community, which he has, you know, he had, uh, we have a large uh, alumni, uh, football alumni that that uh, care about Coach Dress's legacy. So we're going to, you know, I'm doing everything I can to, I'm going to keep that alive and con- and continue, you know, the ideas and all the things that he represents. We want to keep that going as, as, as best I can. So um, we're, we got to, we have a, we have ideas right now. We're just in the process of putting uh, the stamp of approval on a couple, and uh, but uh, maybe having a coach dressed uh, uh, a game each year. That could be. That's that's one of the ideas where we're you know the the, the games in honor of coach dress. Uh, you know, not homecoming, but maybe a different game. And so there's there's some ideas uh, that we're uh, working on right now. Let's talk about uh, 2018 team a little bit. Who are the key guys coming back? And, you know, when you guys take the field against Delaware Valley in a couple of months, what do you expect to see? On the offensive side of the ball, I mean, we, we have a lot of key players back. We have, uh, of course, E.J. Lee, who's going to be a junior this year, who was, uh, did a phenomenal job for us last year. Um, and I don't see anything changing this year. We have uh, Khalid Burroughs back with a year under his belt. He's a very good athlete, very good quarterback as well. Um, Alex Kemp is also a guy who is, uh, coming back, who is, you know, a big threat for us and a great, a great player, you know, uh, for all his years here. That's, that's key. We have a, a good core on the offensive line. Our tight end positions, you know, is one of our stronger, uh, positions. So, um, you know, we, we lose the James O'Keefe and a couple other guys, but I feel like the offensive side of the ball, we're going to be pretty strong and, and things aren't going to change very much. You know, our coaching staff on that side, if you look at uh, the coaches we have here, we have over a uh, good, quite a bit over a hundred years of college coaching experience on that side of the ball. 
And so we feel pretty confident on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, I think the big uh, – right now we're uh, – at the end of this week, we'll hire a defensive coordinator. And uh, so that's that's a big move. That will probably, probably be the biggest move I make uh, this summer okay. and maybe for a long time. And so we're in the process of uh, finalizing that 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 hiring. And uh, so that's kind of going to – that's going to be the uh, question mark is how quickly we can get up to speed – on uh, on a new defense or anything that we have, uh, you know, we're, that we're going to be, you know, we continue with our old defense. Um, so that's, you know, that's a big thing. Uh, uh, Personnel-wise, you know, our, our front seven is going to be, we do lose Sam Romana and Mike Sabino, our two top linebackers. And, uh, but other than that, uh, we're going to be pretty solid up front. And, and the secondary is going to be similar. So I, I anticipate, uh, our defense uh, being able to play at a pretty high level like they did last year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the season. And, uh, you know, we also have Capadonna Miller coming back, uh, who's a uh, standout free safety for us. And so that's that's an exciting thing. He's going to be a senior this year. And uh, he's just a great player. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I look – Look for us to continue uh, to, you know, do be successful. We got a tough NJAC conference, and you know, our goal is to win that. And I think with the with the personnel we have, I think we have a good shot at doing that. When you're hiring a new defensive coordinator at a, at a fairly late date, you know, after uh, all the recruiting's done, after spring ball, that sort of thing, is it is part of the calculation for you then? trying to find somebody who will probably keep the same scheme or is that not really part of the formula? Well, I mean, that's an important thing The transition. We have a foundation of, of, uh, you know, defensive football knowledge that we, that we have here. And we have, you know, we want to build on that, but at the same time, uh, you don't want to hamstring, uh, uh, a new defensive coordinator and use a system he's not familiar with. So we got to kind of balance those two out and try to, try to transition uh, the best we can with what we already know into uh, whatever the new system is that the, the defensive coordinator is familiar with. So that's kind of a concern. And, uh, you know, by, by the end of this week, uh, we're going to be full speed ahead with the defense and we're going to be, uh, you know, that's a, that's a high priority for us as we get ready for the season. So, um, but, but uh, that is a concern, but it, it's, uh, we want to get the best candidate and the guy who, uh, who, can uh, you know oversee and teach the defense and and coach the coaches and and somebody who has a pretty uh, a solid scheme as well. So uh, we do have a couple guys that I'm real happy about that are that are uh, candidates and so so I think we're going to be pretty pretty solid coming into the season with with uh, the coaching staff we have in the scheme. So I feel pretty good about it. At at this time of year, is it a good time of year to hire a, a high level assistant coach? Well, you'd rather hire them before the spring, yeah. but, uh, you know, we have no choice in the matter. We got to do, um, you know, we just got to take the situation and make the best of it. And ideally you'd like to have as much time as possible, but, uh, you know, that's not the case. And we just got to make the best of best of what we, what we have in front of us. Keith, I could tell it was kind of an awkward question when I asked about the health of the program and by extension, the health of the college. Um, I knew that, uh, I think we know that this is a particularly large portion of the uh, Wesley student body, and anything that uh, disrupts that certainly does have the ability to impact the uh, health of the institution. So I, I can understand why maybe that wouldn't be something that would have been 
considered on their end, but I found it kind of interesting. Well, interviewing 101, journalism 101, uh, we'll take you behind the uh, behind the notebook here on this podcast. Sometimes short, awkward questions get the best answers. And, and that one, you actually did get a good answer. It was, he was kind of just like, no, the college is going to be fine. And I, I think that's probably a, I, I get that answer because um, Wesley in the late 80s and early 90s, something much different than it is now, I guess, as an institution. Yeah. Um, obviously, not just because it was a junior college and now four-year college, but as a program, you know, Coach Drafts really developed something bigger than himself. And my guess is he'd be proud that it could carry on without him, that, that he got it to a point where the structure's in place, the people are in place, the Chip Naps and Azanese and all, all the other coaches who are um, still there and, and in place to keep the program running, um, to keep the ship sailing, uh, even though Coach Trash has, has passed on, in a way that's probably a good thing. And from a, a recruit standpoint, even though you probably, when you went on your recruiting visit, to, to Wesley, just the force of, of Coach Drass' personality probably had something to do with why you committed. You also know that you commit to a college and an education and a football program. You don't just commit to the coach. So from a personal standpoint, it's probably a shock. But from a recruiting standpoint, I think it's a, it's less of a shock to the program than a complete coaching changeover would be because you hire a new coach, they bring in their new staff. And in this case, most of the program framework stays in place Coach Knapp talked about how the philosophy is going to stay the same. Wesley football is still going to mean what it meant two months ago, last season, 10 seasons ago. It, it just won't be with, with Coach Strass, and, and that'll be a big deal. But the program is built to survive. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that I, I wonder about this is because we just saw Mount Ida College close uh, over the course of the last couple of months. That's a school with Division Three football. Uh, the previous... Uh, spring, we saw Daniel Webster University be absorbed into that behemoth that is Southern New Hampshire. So there's no Division Three sports there. There's going to be a continued shakeout in higher education, and not to get all chronicle of higher education on on here because I don't have that background. But you just look at the numbers, and you have to know that a lot of these small liberal arts colleges just don't really seem to have what it would take to survive. Um, you know, a shakeout in education like that. I think, yeah, as someone who is a parent of a 13 year old and a 12 year old and uh, doesn't have jillion dollars saved up for, for college. Um, certainly you look at where the prices are heading and, and, you know, there's a movement or whatever, a discussion where you, where people want, want to encourage their kids to go to, community college for a couple of years and then go to college. So I do think you're right that there is maybe a crisis looming uh, as far as college enrollment and that affects some of your, your, your smaller programs. I do think, you know, in the case of Wesley, I, I feel like they're in a pretty strong place or at least the, the football program is. And you wonder, you know, that, that program is such a big percentage of, of the student body, as long as that's healthy, will the college be healthy? Um, you know, it doesn't sound like anything's looming on that front, but you're right with the with the Mount Ida, and uh, you know we've heard we've heard it bubbling in, in other places. Rockford is the one that comes to mind, um, where you just is the school healthy enough to keep the program alive? Can the program uh, help sustain the school? 
a little bit more granular, of course, for 2018 is the fact that uh, defensive coordinator needed needs to be hired, needed to be hired at least as the uh, as that interview was recorded here at the end of June. And that's, uh, you know, like we were talking about, it's not the best time of year to do that. No, I mean, most of the movement usually happens right after the season. You want to be able to, to have the maximum amount of time to install something new. And so I think in the in the case of the Wesley hire, even if it's a, uh, a dynamic coach with great ideas about defense, most likely they keep things generally the same the, the, the first year and, and just tweak throughout. Uh, you know, defense is never the same on a game-to-game basis anyway because you're trying to match up with, with whichever team you're playing. And then, you know, you probably try to maintain the framework. And then if you're going to Im- implement something entirely new, you do that when you have a full offseason. So this coach who, who – uh, gets hired is going to try to hit the ground running and then maybe make the big changes uh, before next season. And, and to be honest, there aren't that many defenses. So if you have four, three principles or three, four principles, it doesn't mean you can't play a three, three, five or four, two, five looks at times or switch from even fronts to odd fronts or bring in a fifth defensive back, sub in a, a better tackler for a, you, you can do all that stuff anyway, no matter what your base defense is. It's really the, the teaching part and the terminology that you, you want the players to be able to understand uh, what the coach is trying to get across. And uh, a lot of times, especially with really smart coaches, try to adapt what they know to what's already in place rather than trying to teach 25 or 40 or 50, however many guys you have in your program on the defensive side of the ball that who, who may play in a given season try to reteach them all the things, you know, it's sometimes easier for the coach to relearn the words and the, what, what he knows so he can communicate the concepts. Cause really it's only a finite number of concepts you're trying to communicate to the defense. And, the, and part of coaching is getting players to understand what you, what you're trying to have them do and then have them do it correctly repeatedly. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Jim Barnes, former head coach at Worcester and Augustana, uh, still involved with football. And uh, first of all, Coach, uh, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Well, it's a real pleasure, Pat. Been following your programming here for, I guess, going on nearly 20 years. And even though I'm still not coaching the game, I'm a fairly frequent visitor to your site. Um, it's a real pleasure to get to meet you. Appreciate that. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, coaching. We're going to talk about life after coaching, and, and I know you're doing still things involved with football and involved with Division Three football, so we'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. But uh, you spent 16 years as a head coach, first at Worcester and then at Augustana. I know now it's been several years that you've been out of it, but uh, what is it like now as a former Division Three head coach and still you know, not someone who's anywhere near retirement age? Well, you know, again, there's a lot of blessings in life. Certainly, I was involved in, um, you know, college football since about the age of uh, 17 uh, and, uh, well, uh, hitting about 50 there. So it was definitely a huge part of um, everything that I experienced. It was central to my life, quite honestly, for many decades. Um, But, you know, again, I've been blessed that, uh, I guess, early on, I knew there were other things out there as well. And I've uh, had the good um, fortune of finding another niche uh, still, you know, uh, around the game, uh, able to help some young men and some coaches that are associated with it. Um, but there's other things, too. Um, family life has uh, been enhanced in many respects. Uh, the time that I've been able to share with, uh, you know, the wife and, and children and um, 
Uh, and then, you know, again, what I'm involved in deals with some travel, so uh, we've enjoyed that together. But also, uh, like I said, with uh, other um, people that are still playing the game of football. So uh, it's been been great all around. Uh, you know, there's other things out there, and um, I've been fortunate to uh, get to experience a lot of great things. I could introduce your company, and I will introduce it by name, uh, American Football Worldwide, but you should tell us what it's about because you'll do a much better job than I would. Well, what we're, we're, we do is um, we had the good fortune years ago when I was at Augustana College um, uh, through, uh, again, Patrick Steenberg, a gentleman, had a, a neat idea, a great concept there. Uh, and others are doing it in various sports uh, just to bring about some uh, ambassadorship for the game but also uh, provide a valuable international education experience uh, to young people. And uh, sometimes athletics is a bit of the enticement to uh, get people to take that step that uh, they know deep down inside they'd appreciate uh, and want to have in their life. So uh, for six years now, uh, we've been traveling uh, both the combination of high school select teams uh, to Europe to play uh, national U19 and U20 teams. Uh, those trips usually take place around the spring break season of uh, latter March into mid-April. And then uh, for the, during that time, too, we've also traveled some ambitious NCAA Division III programs to uh, go over and play um, you know, some of the uh, American football club teams that exist in various parts of Europe. So I've had a great chance to stay connected with excellent men that are coaching the game. And then just meet some really, uh, uh, you know, impressive, inspiring young people uh, on these journeys as we go through places, whether it be in Ireland, Italy, Spain, France, Switzerland. Um, so uh, that's what American Football Worldwide does. We're looking forward to another great tour season coming up next spring and next May. We talked about this with uh, Normesh, head coach at Illinois Wesleyan, uh, last month on podcast. You know, and just to refresher for people who need to know about the rules. A, a school can do this once every three years. Uh, you're able to take you know, your team over there. You get uh, 10 full padded practices. You get basically a spring practice out of it. And of course, get this uh, fantastic experience. Uh, coach Esch really raved about many of the places that uh, his teams have been. You talked a little bit about some of the places that uh, you set up teams to travel to. Where are some of the places specifically, you know, that you've kind of helped D3 teams get to over the course of the last couple of years, and what are the other places that you like to get to, get to send teams to? Well, what's great is that American football is uh, kind of just steadily grown around the globe. There's over uh, 60 nations now that have some form of American football. Sometimes it's flag leagues as it starts out, but uh, you're going to find this uh, game now pretty much on every continent. Um, we're, you know, we mostly concentrated on the European side where American football has been established for a long, long time and, and just has some stronger roots uh, and generally some better teams. Uh, we're looking at places uh, now and have conversations going on, uh, um, you know, south of us. Uh, of course, they play a very good brand of American football in Mexico, but also down in so uh, South America, a little bit in Central America. Uh, they're playing the game. It's played excellently over in Japan, and it's beginning to grow in China. So places like that. And then um, I think down under, too, if people are willing to put in a little bit extra flight time. Australia's had a game. They call it gridiron down there. Um, and I, they may serve as the host for uh, some upcoming world championships in the next year or two. They put in a bid for that. So, you know, the game, again, has great appreciation and appeal uh, around the globe. And uh, I think pretty much anywhere a, a coach or a group of young men would like to travel, uh, we'll be able to find them a game.
I know in my spiel a couple minutes ago, I focused specifically on some of the on-field benefits, but obviously the off-field benefits of uh, for a, a for a student athlete, for just a, a person in general to make that kind of trip, are probably completely overshadow that. Well, yeah, I, I think a lot of times, again, the focus is on the football aspect in the game. But, you know, when you think about it, it probably comes to less than 5% of the, the time spent uh, when we're on these tours. Yeah, the, the other benefits are, you know, varied uh, and, and tremendous. Uh, certainly nowadays, I think, uh, you know, it's more and more important that young people have an appreciation and an understanding that there's some different places in, in the world that are, um, are, are good places, that they're doing some quality things, that they get a chance to meet. Uh, and sometimes, again, athletics is the way that they begin conversations over there, and then they get to learn more about each other and uh, come to identify that they have a lot of times the same dreams and same hopes. Uh, so that, that kind of uh, experience is Tremendous. You, of course, you've got the other educational aspects of history, of, of culture, of architecture that are ingrained into their college experience and really becomes enhanced by seeing these places live. Um, and then again, the intangibles of a team growing together. It's a kind of a different dynamic when you take people out of their typical comfort zone, whether it be their hometown or their dormitory, and, and you put them into a different environment. I mean, the way that uh, teams have grown together has been very impressive, whether it's been our high school elite teams or uh, the college teams we've taken. And, um, and then again, I think for you know a lot of the Division three programming, you know, I think parents and young men that are high school seniors that are making a college choice, they like to uh, you know entertain the idea that sometime during their college experience they may be able to play overseas with their college teammates. And so I think there's a recruiting benefit to those programs as well. When you were a head coach, where did you take your teams? How many opportunities did you have to do this? Well, we had a, a couple. We went to um, uh, original trip had us go to uh, Prague uh, in the Czech Republic. Kind of a might have been the first group to go over there. Fascinating city and and country. And then we traveled on to uh, Vienna, where we played uh, the outstanding Vienna Vikings football program, one of the best uh, consistently in Europe. And then the following uh, chance, we went to um, Switzerland and uh, spent most of our time there and then traveled back over to uh, Vienna again. And uh, again, it was a tremendous football atmosphere and we ended up playing the Austrian national team at that time. So, um, you know, that kind of springboarded me into these activities. But again, I've been traveling pretty much since my high school year, uh, uh, high school senior year, and um, always had an appreciation for getting out and seeing the world. Over the course of the last 15, 20 years, do you think that the trend is for more Division three schools to go overseas? I think what I have seen is that there are more schools maybe taking the opportunity to go to Canada, where it can be done, obviously, you know, by land and, and save some money. But I, I do feel, I wonder what you think about, you know, whether that's been a, a growing trend in Division three. Well, I'm aware of a, a couple programs that do look for that experience, and we've been able to try and help and explore some possibilities for others as well. Um, it, sometimes it's it's kind of tough to match up. I mean, there is some some good football in Canada. Uh, if you're looking to do something with a, uh, whether it be a their collegiate or university programming, they release from school a bit earlier, so it doesn't time up in May very much. Um, and it, and it kind of depends on what all your focus wants to be on. I mean, if it's primarily football and not much touring. I mean, that certainly serves as a, a vehicle for you to get that done. Uh, as a coach, if, um, again, you have a, a student body that uh, aspires for a little bit more than that, um, you know, I think there's some other fantastic 
fantastic places to see overseas. So, um, you know, again, it's, uh, I don't know if I've seen any real strong trends one way or another. And certainly for my standpoint is we just want to, I know, <laughs> believe me, from my years in coaching, I know how difficult and challenging and time demanding the job is. And at American Football Worldwide, uh, we just want to try and help serve those guys uh, uh, to provide their you know, student athletes with a special experience and make it as simple and as efficient and as easy as possible. You mentioned uh, the the thought about, you know, just the, the timing not working out with the Canadian schools. And that just made me think of just what the logistical challenges, I would want to say logistical nightmare is a term that people use all the time, but it does seem like there are a significant number of uh, challenges and things that have to be kept in mind when trying to uh, arrange and put together a foreign tour? Well, you know, again, that's something that over the years uh, at AFW, we feel like we've really honed that down. I mean, my ambition, and again, uh, having served as a head football coach at that level for 16 years, I mean, uh, as a director of AFW, I want to take practically everything off the coach's plate except, you know, making the announcements. Now, we'll have a little consultation as to what fits in their academic schedule. Again, uh, NCAA teams are only allowed to um, take one of these experiences when school is not in session. So once we identify that time frame and, and what the coach feels would work best for their training calendar, uh, then it's up to us to, you know, uh, again, after a little consultation of locations that are of interest, to put something together that makes sense. Um, our tours are ambitious. I mean, we hustle a lot. Uh, I guess sleep is um, not one of the main uh, objectives, uh, but enough to make sure that we can appreciate all that uh, we're taking in on the tours and then play a strong game over there. Um, but, uh, you know, we've, we've got that part down. So, you know, I, I feel like um, it's not too, too onerous for certainly the coaches at all, but uh, we'll make sure we get all those pieces put together. Do you miss coaching at all? You know, I've had the I, – I certainly, yeah. I, you know, like I said, college football is a part of my life for nearly 30 years. And um, I would say that, you know, the interaction with the players and, and, and the staff, you know, is always something that really bonds you close. Is, and it is a, a different but a very meaningful concept of family. And, uh, and then there's the challenge of, you know, competing. Um, that is always hard to, you know, I guess place something else in there. Um, loved it as a, a, a young person, whatever sport I was in, as a college football player, and then really appreciated it and uh, what the kind of drive it gives you to become better when you're coaching. Um, so, yeah, you know, that, that part uh, I miss along with, like I said, the relationships. But, you know, there's some other demands, too, that um, make it uh, certain aspects of life challenging. And um, in some ways, it's okay to say <laughs> goodbye to those things and move on to other areas. So... Um, but I have been, again, like I said, blessed uh, in that when we do take our high school select teams, um, at times I've served in the role as a head coach or as a coordinator, as an assistant coach. So, you know, a week or two a year, I get that little bit of fix. And um, again, working with young people uh, closely. And uh, um, But otherwise, besides that, there's been a lot of other things that uh, have filled those voids and I'm uh, enjoying life right now. How do interested coaches get in touch? Well, you know, certainly you can visit our website at AmericanFootballWorldwide.com. Um, you can reach me through email at jb at AmericanFootballWorldwide.com. So uh, hopefully, again, some people that may have, um, you know, want to explore the possibility, uh, certainly don't hesitate. You know, life is uh, short. And um, I do know this, that the young men that have been on, you know, these tours 
have often, you know, said it's been the trip of a lifetime. It's something that I think they'll never get to do again with uh, teammates and peers, and um, it's a real valuable growth experience. So hopefully we'll uh, be able to serve a few more people in the coming years. Keith, there's always a handful of Division Three schools that make these trips. Uh, Case Western Reserve took a trip, I think, with AFW to, to Italy and Switzerland. The uh, folks at Central took a trip to Austria in May. Uh, St. Thomas took their every three years trip, and they were in Europe this year. Um, I would love to go on one of these at, at some point, but I, I really do feel like, uh, kind of like I was talking about with uh, Jim at the end of this, the uh, we talk about the benefits on the field pretty intently but all of the stuff that happens off the field is great for not only for team bonding but just for uh, the education of a student yeah pat i was watching a netflix stand-up comedy special of trevor noah um you know last week or something like that and uh there was a line in there where he says travel is the antidote to ignorance mm -hmm. and it, the more coach barnes talked and i'm gonna still call him coach barnes um the more I thought about that's really where the value is in, in, in these trips. Um, it's great to, to be a global ambassador for American football, take it overseas, play against people who see, who fallen in love with the game, even though it's not the most popular game where they're from. Uh, road trips, we talk about all the time on, on this podcast. We talk about the great bonding experiences that they are. And Pat, you and I on previous podcasts have talked about the value for a D3 team, which which has limited practice time anyway, to get those extra to 10 practices before they they uh, head off overseas and then to have that extra time together. But also it's just kind of a way to every three years squeeze in some extra practice time that you can't normally uh, get. All that stuff's valuable, but I think really that, that travel being the antidote to ignorance, that part, uh, going somewhere else, meeting other people, seeing how they live, being in their environment, and as Coach Barnes said, finding out that you probably have more in common than, than you realized when, when you had no idea about each other. And maybe that's a little cliche, but I think that's really the, the huge part of the experience. Now is the time on the podcast where we dive into Twitter. Now is the time on Sprockets where we dance. We know you still have questions, even though it's the off-season, so we throw out that reminder to hit us up when it's time for me and time for Keith to step into the studio. And uh, we had a couple of good questions here that, we, uh, that were thrown at us on a Friday morning. Which one do we want to tackle, Keith? Well, I mean, I don't mind tackling all of them. Uh, thanks for, for responding and uh, throwing out the questions. Uh, but I think the, the one from uh, Steve Ulrich, that's at Commish82, is uh, should there be more than four evaluation regions for football and it's nearly 250 sponsors? Pat, why don't you take this one first since you're um, a little better at the technical side of, uh, of D3 than I am. Yeah, it is one of those questions. So, and for people who are new to this, evaluations regions means basically that we have teams broken down into north and east and south and west in most division three sports there are eight regions and in most division three sports of course there are more sponsoring schools as well uh on the opposite end uh we could bring in uh dave McHugh to rant for about 20 minutes about how men's lacrosse <laughs> is all messed up because there's a uh, maybe I don't know, 180 to 200 schools, and they're in just two regions, the North and South. And that is truly messed up. But uh, we're going to talk about football. I have thought about this a couple times over the years, and what, I would, what, what would concern me is I don't know 
how we would split up, you know, some of these regions. If we were to split the east into two, you know, for example, uh, a northeast and an east, or a northeast and, and an Atlantic, it's just, it's going to be a situation where instead of having four fairly evenly populated regions, then we're going to uh, kind of bring and bubble up to the fore the fact that there are so many teams in New England and the New England region in football would be large, just as the New England region in men's and women's basketball is large and that sort of thing. Um, I think I would rather stick with four balanced evaluation regions, north, east, south, and west, than try to finagle something that doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. It's always the the deal is always trying to find the dividing line. There's no good geographical dividing line between a New England region and an East region that would uh, typically encompass New York. Um, so then if you're trying to balance them out, do you bring over conference such as the NUMAC out of New England and then into the East, something that straddles that line? It just... It's messy. I, I think we could certainly take a look at it and maybe try to break it down, but there's something about how this works that I think makes sense. In all honesty, the number of evaluation regions is not as important as it used to be. Uh, of course, uh, when Keith was playing and when I was in school, we had four regions, and the top four ranked teams in each region got into the playoffs, and that was it. You know, Now the at-large bids, as few of them as there are, uh, at least have the opportunity to be distributed nationally. So I, I think there's a little bit less of an impact of having a specific number of regions. Yeah, that, that was my question. What the what the practical benefit would be? Um, I guess each evaluation each evaluation region would mean there have to be a new regional committee. So you're taking a, a coach or an AD or or someone from each conference right now who's currently on the regional committee they do the call each week they evaluate teams i believe they at some point during the season they start to privately put together their top 10 so that when we first get their regional rankings released and these regional rankings are the rankings that uh very directly factor into playoff selection um that that those are well informed um so you, I guess we now would be saying there's eight committees funneling their rankings into um, into the national committee, which then uses them to to help with selection. It seems like um, I don't, I'm not quite sure what the practical benefit would be, but I think it's a perfectly valid question, given that in all other D3 sports or just about all other D3 three sports, there are uh, the eight regions. What D3 road trips are you making this season? That was from uh, David Klein, UD Doolittle Dog. Oh, okay. I know that guy. I was going to say, once you get to Doolittle Dog, you'll know who it is. <laughs> right, exactly. I have, I have something planned early on. I don't know how uh, feasible it will be, and I haven't really uh, continued to shake it out. I know that I do want to get down to Texas because I'd like to go see uh, a game at Mary Harden Baylor and then also in conjunction with that trip, go, you know, just drop in on where the Stag Bowl is going to be held for the next couple of years. I think that's important. Um, I like to do a lot of my multiple game road tripping early in the season when I still, when, when I'm fresh. <laughs> so I, I do a lot of my driving in uh, August and September and then use October and uh, November to see, to focus on the teams in the upper Midwest, which are definitely uh, a good number of them for me to to keep an eye on yeah. for where you're based too, because you're so so close to Mayak and Wyak country, you can see playoff relevant games 
very early in, very late in the season, actually. But, but you know, you can sort of take some wild swings earlier in the year and go to places you've never been. Oh, I'm going to go to Hendricks for a game. Yeah. And then, uh, not that they're not, not, sometimes they're playoff relevant as well, but, um, and then, and then later in the season, you know, you take those short trips to St. Thomas or, um, you know, day trip over to Wisconsin and come back. Uh, for me, I, I know that I think I'm off weekends in September. All and, right. Woo. And November. I think I'm on in October. I might have that backwards. But anyway, so I'll be able to go to some games this year. And the, the, the best weekends are the ones early in the season when it's, you, especially that first week where there's Thursday games, yeah. Friday games, and Saturday games. If you can find somewhere where you can hit a game each night, you, know, you can really knock out a, uh, a pretty good D3 weekend. Yeah, we do this uh, best road trips in Division Three package. Not every year, and I'm, we may or may not do it this year, depending on how August looks. But I was just kind of looking at the map. Keith, you could get to see perhaps on that first Thursday night, there's uh, Rowan plays at Widener. Uh, the next night, uh, Delval plays at Wesley and uh, Albright plays at Salisbury. Those are uh, either would be great games. And then Saturday, you pretty much have your pick of a whole bunch of stuff. In my case, it's pretty similar. I could make a pretty long drive on the first day to get out to like northwestern Indiana and see Manchester at Trine and then maybe hop up to Hope to see Milliken at Hope. And then again, have my pick of a lot of games on Saturday on my way back to Minneapolis. Yeah, I think at this point, the only game we can guarantee we'll be at is the Stag Bowl. And Are we going to cover the Stag Bowl this year? It's a fairly good chance we'll go for this be – are we past 20? I, I really don't even know. This will be uh, this will be our 20th – oh, yeah, this will be our 20th Stag Bowl together. For Yeah, because for me, I went to the – the first one I went to was 97, Lego right. and uh, Mount Union. Yeah. And then I went the following two years. And then I think the third year I went was on behalf of D3Football.com. And then we've done it every year since. But um, those were all on sale. And this one will be in Shenandoah, Texas, ostensibly. <laughs> ostensibly. That's another story for another podcast. Uh, I'm fairly certain it will be played there this year, regardless of how uh, less uh, enthusiastic they are about hosting it than they used to be. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 197, released on June 30th, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the offseason. The offseason, yeah, we still have another couple months of that. But if you like our podcast, of course, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get podcasts like this. That will help other football fans find it. You can leave comments on the blog page if you uh, come and look at us on the website. It is still on a blog, and blogs still take comments, even though it's been like 13 years since blogs were new. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, and you can find him at djmentos.com. Thanks to our guests, Jim Barnes and Chip Knapp, and uh, sports information director Cyril Parham for their time and their assistance on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division 3 football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. You can join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com and d3football.com is on Facebook. As the offseason winds down, we still have new content on a regular basis. Uh, the last couple of coaching changes, uh, there's still one. UW-Stevens Point will probably hire a coach sometime between now and week one, so uh, we'll keep you uh, up to date on that. Uh, players with uh, pro prospects, we have all those 2018 football schedules. We are focused on kickoff right now, and you'll continue to find a new podcast in this feed from us each month. 
I had this conversation with my wife. I was like, nobody does a blog anymore. And she says, people still do blogs. There's like makeup blogs and whatever. Tumblr? Uh, That's what I said. <laughs> ever since Yahoo destroyed Tumblr? I don't know, man. Anyway, I just thought that was funny that you made that same thing un unprompted. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.